I got a really good word for you today. Uh, some people are missing, but too bad. And, I mean, that's what I told my class last, this week. I said, some people, are, you're getting senioritis. <laughs> some people are missing because they're like always telling me they have a stomachache. How come it's every Monday you have a stomachache? <laughs> I never say that. It's like, you're adults. You want to miss class, go ahead. But I always tell them, you missed out. I actually preached the gospel in my class last Sunday. They didn't know it, but I did. I mixed organizational principles, and then they were like, so how do we, how do we get out of that cycle? Because I was doing the fear-shame as a leader, fear-shame cycle. I'm just preaching the gospel. They're like, how do I get out of that cycle? Well, you need to not rely on yourself. How do I not rely on yourself? You have to rely on the transcendent. What is the transcendent? For me, it's God the Father. They're like, oh. That's what I do at work. Fun, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. One day in my classroom, there's going to be a revival. People will be crying. And I told them, you guys want to, like I said, you guys come next week. This is a smaller class. So you guys come next week. I'm going to hear God for you, and I'm going to give you, every one of you a, a word that I think God is saying. And they were like this. I'm going to be there. Amen? Right. You guys excited? Give me some excitement. Okay. Let's get pumped up. I'm really excited for this word. I don't know. I'm just trying to I, I've been I preached on this before, but I got new revelation. Snap. It's not just I'm just pulling it out of thin air I'm like thin air and just making things up. I have a thought, I research it, and I'm like, yes, it's true. Wow. Amen? Amen? I'm just, ooh. All right. Anson? Sorry, just scrolling. Here we go. Turn to Joshua 4 and leave that on there. If you have Joshua 4 in your Bibles, I'm just going to read a couple verses. And I just want to make you kind of think. For a second. Verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. How many guys know they passed over the Jordan like they passed on dry land through the Red Sea? And it's not quite the same because the Jordan River is not the Red Sea. And Jordan River can go up to 10 feet or it can also be shallow during dry season. So the Israelites actually, God could have told them just wait until dry season. But the Lord wanted to get glories. He said, so hey, I want you to walk through during high season when you can't walk and you can drown because I want to part the Jordan. God wanted to show off. How many guys know sometimes God wants to just show off? He wants to show people what he's made of. Amen? Amen. It could have made it, it, it could have been very reasonable. Just wait a few months, wait here, camp. You know, you've been, you're used to doing that in the desert, right? You're just camping. Just do that for, what's another few months? And when it's dry, just cross over. No, 
He said, no, right now. Sometimes God puts us in hard situations not to get hopeless, but to cross over. Because he wants to show off in your life. Take 12 men from the people from each tribe, tribe a man and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. So it just picture what's happened. They crossed over, and then they picked 12 men. They went into the bed of the river where it was dry. The Jordan parted. They went in, and they got the rocks from the bed of the river. And they took it out onto shore and made a monument, 12 stones. And then verse 9, it says, And Joshua set up 12 stone in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant has stood, and, there, and they are there to this day. So think about this. So they got the stones, they put it out. And they got some stones and put it back in. Made a monument in the bedrock, in the riverbed, when the waters would cover it and nobody could see. Why did God do that? Because there's times when you can't see. Um, there's situations where, where there's chaos and trials in your life, and it just seems like overwhelming. The Lord re- wants to remind you, in that chaos, there's a miracle waiting to happen. Snap, that was good. I don't know if you guys... Sometimes you can't see the testimony, but you know that something's in there. Something happened. It, it, sometimes it's hard. Like, amen? amen? When it's like, when, when the floods happen in your life, it's hard to see what goodness of God. But it's so important for Joshua to say, for, to tell the people and generations to come, there's something in the, in the, in the chaos. God did it once before. You can't see it now, but you have to use faith. Sometimes you have to use more faith. It's not what you see. It's not by sight. It's by faith. And when, when seasons are good, like, you know, it's a, the river's dry and you can cross over easily. And when things are going well, it's easy to see the goodness of God. How many of you guys know when you're, like, having a ha- good time and you, I say praise the Lord, and you're like, oh, I'm so good because, you know, I got married, I'm getting married, and I had a new boyfriend, I got a new job. It's so easy when things are going well. Amen? Amen. You can say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I got I to gotta raise. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Somebody just gave me a, dropped another thousand on my bank account. Praise the Lord. Whoa, whoa. Pray, <laughs> praise the Lord. Do you, do you understand? And when you go to a different country and you come back to Canada, praise the Lord for law and order and rules on the road. Praise the Lord. You can just, eat. do you understand? But when your life is going through chaos, it's hard to see. And it's more important when you're going through chaos to remember what's down in there. Joshua put the stone here and in there for people so the children can ask what are these stones, Daddy? So generations could remember and retell. That's how culture is made. You know how culture is made? It's through rituals and stories. Symbols, rituals, and stories. 
That's why I make you guys raise hands and worship God every Sunday to change our culture. Culture is powerful. It's, it's almost like genetics. It's like embedded in you. And so it does, that's why I do it every Sunday. I say, lift up your hands, and you just do it because maybe I'm big and commanding. You're like, oh, okay, I'll do it. But you come every Sunday, and your culture gets, you, your overwhelming culture that you've gone through all your life just gets back to this. It's culture. But we also create culture by telling stories. Stories of what happened in your life and what's going on in that church. And so stories create culture. If you have a toxic culture, people are telling toxic stories. Amen? So Joshua said, the stone is a symbol. And whenever you see it, ritual, whenever you see stones, I want you to tell the story. Symbol, ritual, stories. You guys following what I'm saying? I want you to keep telling this story until your children's children know this story inside out. But I want you to see what happened here. Joshua 24, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Everybody say, known all the work. work. That means it's not they just had information. They knew it intimately in their heart. Judges 2, right after Joshua, it says, All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. Everybody say another generation. generation. And them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And you can see the transition from Joshua to Judges, and it's one of the most tragic times in Israel's history. Judges, you see, if you read Judges, it's like, I actually had to take a course in just that, just that book alone, Judges, I still remember Bruce Walkie. It was like one of the hardest courses I took. But it's all about failure. These people failed. Over, you just read Judges, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah. You read these people and they do some crazy things. They just keep doing stupid, stupid things over and over and over again. And you're just mind-boggling. Could, it, it's almost like somebody just made this up. How could they... How could they keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect God to rescue them? And God does in his mercy, but God is like frustrated. What's wrong with you guys? Why do you keep doing that? And Judges 2 tells us it's because the generation forgot. Remembrance is a powerful thing. You know, when Elijah got launched into his ministry, Elisha, Elijah took Elisha and went back all the way to Gilgal. It's, this, it's the place right after the Jordan to remind Elijah where you came from. To go forward, sometimes you have to go back to the beginning. Now, I've told you before, you know, it's future, present, past. Everything has to align. Everything comes from a future good. You know God is good. And then you align yourself in the present to a future that you know is good. That's alignment. And then that same alignment, you go to the past and you see that God has been working in your life, in your past, to the present, to the future. That's how it works. You guys following what I'm saying? And I've said that before many times. It's so important. Start with the future, present, past. And this is kind of similarly, similarly is what Joshua is saying. But have you ever wondered why they did not do the monument in the Red Sea? 
why there was no stones in the Red Sea is a similar kind of event, is it not? Red Sea is even more spectacular. Wouldn't you think that they would want that monument even more, like Red Sea? I'm sure there was a monument after, but there was nothing in the bedrock. You know, only thing that was in the midst of the Red Sea were the enemies of Israel that got swallowed up. Now, follow, you guys, can I just teach you a little theology? Isn't the Bible amazing? Isn't the Bible amazing? <laughs> okay, it's because I heard two people going, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yes. I'm just trying to give you a love for the Bible. If you just do some detective work, it's amazing what God reveals. See, the Red Sea, there's no stones because for you to move forward, there's sometimes you just have to end something in the past. For you, for you to transition in life as an organization, as individuals, as a nation, there's something that you have to end a relationship in the past to move forward. In the Jordan, you have to align yourself with the past so you can move forward. There's some things in your life you have to end so that you can move forward. You guys hearing what I'm saying? The Lord wanted them to never remember the Red Sea in that way. What the Red Sea symbolized, it was their captivity and sin. Sin died in the sea. The Lord doesn't want you to remember your sins. He doesn't want you to remember your past life in slavery and how you were so sinful and how you are still sinful and you're trying to make your way out of the Red Sea. The Red Sea is no longer there because you're saved and now you're crossing the Jordan because the Lord wants you to cross the Jordan into your future and destiny. If you want to cross into your future and destiny, you cannot be back in the Red Sea remembering how you were. I was this way. I was that way. Oh, now, if you want to give glory to God a couple of times and you go, I was this. But you know some people, they were like, I was the worst of sinners, but God saved me somehow. I'm not worthy. I'm just, you can't remember it like that. The Lord, yeah, God saved me from sin, but I am a saint. How many guys know you're not sinners, but saints? When the church tells you, you're a sinner, man. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Frank, you're a sinner. Frank is probably the least sinner of all of us. <laughs> you're a sinner, Frank. You're a sinner. Shame on you, Frank. Repent, repent. When the church is telling you that, they're making you go back to the remembrance of the Red Sea. What's after the Red Sea? The desert. No wonder you're spiritually dry. What's after the Jordan? The promised land. Don't ruminate on the past, your sinful past. Even organizational scholars like William Bridges said, transition to happen, you need to have an ending, a closure. The cross of Jesus Christ is our closure. You know, when Izzy... Isabel, she's not here, so I can talk about her. <laughs> when, she was, <laughs> when she was in uh, high school, a lot of boys liked her. Because she looks like her mom. I mean, come on now. Boys are shallow. They, all they care about is looks. <laughs> They're like, Isabel, Isabel, oh, Isabel. Yeah, boys like wanting to be with her, and she's like, I don't like them. What do I say? There's a, my friend likes me. What do I say, Daddy? I told him. I told her, this is what you do. Okay, I'm listening. 
I said, you go to school tomorrow. Tell that boy, I don't like you. <laughs> I will never like you. And we cannot be friends until you stop liking me. And she's like, what the heck? What? And let me repeat. Let me repeat. I don't like you. I will never like you. You can't be friends. You can't text me, email me, talk to me until you stop liking me. It's like, why? It's because if you say something like, oh, it's not you, it's me. I'm not ready for a boyfriend. But you're such a nice guy. You can't. The guy is hanging on. There's no ending. You're doing that guy a favor instead of stringing him along like a little puppy dog. <laughs> cut that out. I'm not, don't cut the puppy. I'm just saying cut, the, <laughs> cut it off. She did that. Wow. She did that. I don't like you. I will never like you. And we can't be friends. Until she did that to a few guys. And you know what? They all thanked her. To thank you. Because there were girls that let guys on. If you did that in your life, it's okay. We, we forgive. <laughs> forgive. We forgive. We're forgiving. That's why I married my wife. Because she had no guile. No, like, iffy. She's like, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, like a lot of guys followed her in university. And wa guys wanted to fight me for her. Small guys. I don't know why. <laughs> Fourth year guys, I was first year, I'm like, people are holding him back. I'm like, oh, I just felt sorry for you. It's because my, Sonia just said, I don't like you. Never will like you. And whatever you're doing now, it's all on you. Do you understand? Why am I telling you that everything has to have an ending for people to move forward? I think some of you have a relationship with your past and your sinful nature. And you can't move forward into your destiny. And you keep going back to the, keep going back to what you're like, and it reminds you of what you were like, and it's if what you do now is reminds you of what you were like before, and you think, oh man, I'm I'm the same person. I haven't changed, and you start to doubt, and your flesh is like, you haven't changed. Are you really saved? All this kinds of crazy nonsense is because you keep going back there, living in the Red Sea, hanging out with Egyptians. You want to move forward. You've got to remember the goodness of God in the Jordan, what God has done for you in your life. You have to look at your past through the lens of God's faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Luke 19.40 says this, If we keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Have you ever thought about what that meant? Stones are crying out, God, God, God. Is that what it is? It's a symbol. The rocks of remembrance will cry out. You guys understand? I need a little wow-wow for that. <laughs> if, you, if you keep quiet, those stones that we kept as a monument, they will praise God. That means there's monuments all over the place that are crying out, praise the Lord, He's so faithful. Hmm. 1 Peter 2, 4, 6. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are living stones. The rocks will cry out. If you, don't, if you don't cry out, there's another rock that will cry out. Listen to the rocks. It's not just an indictment of you not praising God. It's saying if you can't praise, if you have a hard time, there's a living stone next to you that are crying out, just waiting for you to unpack it, extract the testimony of God in their life. I don't know if do you guys understand? Stones are ordinary. They just look ordinary. They're just stones. You're walking around here and you got all these people sitting around next to you and you think they're just stones. They're just living stones, ordinary. But they're not ordinary. They're extraordinary. God has done something in their lives. Something has happened in Bernard's life and Taya's life and Do you understand? They're crying out. Their spirit is crying out. God has done something. Maybe they don't even know. But it's up to you to extract it. He said, well, tell me your story. Tell me your story. What's happened in your life? And then people minimize, oh, I almost died when I was five, but somehow I got rescued. It's nothing. It's not nothing. The Lord extracted you from death. To save you for a purpose. I, I guess so. I guess, I guess so. I guess, I, I guess that's true. When I, was five, when I was in grade five, a kid came out. The whole school came to watch me get stabbed. First year, right after ESL, I went to school. My mom put me in a suit and a bull haircut. That was a bad mistake. I was living in the ghetto inner city of Toronto, and somebody wrote a little note and said, you will die today. And I was like, I just learned English, so I was like excited. (laughs) You will die. (laughs) It's a true story. I went out. I thought, surely this is a joke. I went out. Doors opened from this this elementary school. I still remember, Parkdale Elementary School. Tobico. My whole class is surrounding me like a little semicircle, so I can't get out. This kid came at me with a knife. I was crying. I was begging. I'm like, please don't kill me with my broken English. Something is like a, I don't know, paper. It was like a sharp blade right between us. He wanted to come and kill me, stab me. Another kid came, and then I still remember his, his, his name. He became my best friend, Robert Fitzroy. He came and he said, this is some kung fu move. I don't know what he did. Just, <laughs> it's like a movie. I was watching a movie, and then he saved me. He kicked the knife and beat him up, and he said, come on, I'll protect you. And he protected me, and his brother was the number one drug dealer in our <laughs> complex. <laughs> and so nobody messed with him, and nobody messed with me. You know what? People are like, why are you telling me this story? Somehow, <laughs> through a drug dealer, through somehow God... Ex- intervene in, this, in my life to save me. People are like, what kind of story is that? It's the story of God's good faithfulness. Somehow he saved me. I almost died in a ski accident. He saved me. Do you understand? I almost got poisoned. I mean, I almost, I did get poisoned. My mom dedicated me to Buddha and then 
told me that Buddha will take care of me all my life. And I was in and out of coma for seven days. And God saved me and made me a Christian. Come on. That's the faithfulness of God. Do you understand? And my mom used to beat me because I was, I was a believer now. And she was getting sick. So she thought Buddha was cursing her. And so I, had to, I just prayed every day, God, please, I'm tired of getting beat for being a Christian. Can you save my mom? She needs a miraculous intervention. And she heard an audible voice of God that got her saved. Not just like a thought. She said, she woke up and she said, are you talking to me? And she t- woke up my dad and said, what are you saying? And, she's, and my dad's like, I'm sleeping. I'm not saying anything. And she heard the audible voice of God and an open vision. You know what open vision? It's not in your mind. You can literally see it like a movie. And she saw the trajectory of her life. And the Lord showed her in her past how God was with her in every step of the way. The Ebenezer, he's the stone that has been with her the whole time and told her, your son is going to be a pastor. But never told me until I chose it myself. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. He goes, sit down. When I got saved, the Lord told me, you're going to be a full-time pastor. I said, why did you tell me this? (laughs) It gave me so much more, less stress. And she said, no, I need you to decide. That could have been all just ordinary stories. I just walked by. Just, I have more stories. You have stories. Do you understand? They, they, the rocks want to cry out. And if your own life and the stories of other people, it sets us up for the future. It reminds us of what God did so that we can be reminded of what, of what God will do. <sighs> Come on. Sometimes we have to recount what God has done so that, we, so that we can reclaim what God wants to do. I don't talking about living in glory days. You know the people who live in glory days? I remember when I was five, five years old, I played little league soccer and I four, scored four goals. How old were you? Six years old. I remember when I was in high school and I, thir- I scored 30 points. How many games? One game, but it was the glorious days. I just remember. Do you understand the glory days? Oh, yeah, I remember. I could have been. I did that. Oh, yeah, I could have done And you're like on your deathbed. I remember in high school when I threw that touchdown, you know, and I made a speech at everybody. You guys, I'm not talking about living in glory days. I'm not talking about living there and going, this is all that, it ha- that God has for me. Oh, this is, this is the height of my life. We're live, we, we count the past so that we can live for glory days. Live for something greater, something more. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You got to reclaim. You got to reclaim those stories. You guys all have stories, a heritage. You know, your parents... Sometimes I ask you about your parents. How are your parents? What are your parents like? Oh, they're all right. They're all okay. Okay. They're a little odd, weird. Um, you can never reclaim what God has destined for your life if you don't reclaim what God has destined for your parents' life. 
because they are your heritage. They're just living an unredeemed life. Many, people, many of my par- our parents, they don't know any better, so they live in fear, control, shame, all that stuff. That's, they're not healed, but in there, there's a purpose. In that chaos, there's stones. And I've decided I'm going to reclaim all of that. I'm not going to waste none of that. Do you understand? When, my fa- when I talk about my father, I talk about my father as a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. You know why I tell those stories? Oh, I remember my dad. He was a very powerful man in the Air Force. When he walked around, people just, and then my dad would just go. I still remember as a five-year-old, I looked at him, I'm like, he's very powerful. And then he's, he wanted to show off, so he wanted to drive the Jeep because I said, I like that car, Daddy. He said, bring the Jeep, brought the Jeep. And then he, I don't think he knew how to drive. <laughs> and the car went in the ditch. I still remember hanging on with the seatbelt going, and my dad's like, hold on. And then all these people came and rescued us. And then my dad came out and took me and said, let's go. And I was looking at the car, like, what are we going to do with the car? He's like, never mind, it's okay, just go. <laughs> and I, I looked at my dad, and I said, he's a very powerful man. He has a lot of authority. He has a lot of leadership. Now, he wasn't the perfect leader, but that's my heritage. Do you, do you understand? Somehow in my mind, I knew I'm going to have authority and leadership like that. I invested into it. Do you, do you understand? My mother, who who had no education. My dad went to the best university, one of the best in, in Korea. In his class was a former president of Korea. My mom didn't even graduate high school. That's why there was a lot of turmoil when my dad decided to marry my mom, as you can imagine. Do, do you understand that she started a business without any education and became one of the most successful business, Korean businesses in Toronto where they made a documentary of her. That's where I get my work ethic from and belief. She just says, let's just do it. She came here after retirement and she said she didn't want to retire. So she opened up another store in Vancouver and that became too successful. So she said, there's just too much work. So I said, finally, you got to retire. That success follows her wherever she goes. She has favor. Do you understand? That courage to just start something. Let's do something. That's why I start things. Yeah, I have not, I'm not afraid. Because that's my heritage. You guys understanding some of the things that I'm trying to tell you. Tyler's dad was an Olympic athlete. No? Olympic? I'm getting that mixed up. My wife's <laughs> uncle... My wife's great uncle was an Olympic athlete. <laughs> Your dad was an athlete, though. Yes. That's why he's got those big, huge legs. My, my wife's great uncle, my, fa- my father-in-law's fa- father, my gra- <laughs> her grandfather's brother, her grandfather's brother, Sonia's grandfather's brother, His daughter was an Olympic athlete. 
Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? There's Olympians in her family line. I thought I was the athlete in my family. But it's her family. I went to my, volleyball, my niece's volleyball game, and she's, like, always winning awards. I'm like, I look at my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and I'm like, I don't, you guys athletic? And I like to claim it. I like to say it's, it's not genetics, but it's my influence <laughs> that causes them to. My nephew's, like, so good at jiu-jitsu, and everything he touches, he's, like, amazing. Oh, they're winning awards like crazy. Do you, do you understand? I'm like, they, they must, I must have a great influence on them. It's nothing to do with me. It's genetics. <laughs> There's something in that family line that causes them to succeed. Resilience. Resilience. Determination. Her family line escaped North Korea. Freedom, her grandfather was a freedom fighter to fight against a communist North Korea. Do you understand? She was a, and he got kicked out of the country and won a posthumous award from the president of, the, of Korea. She has a heritage, do you understand? Now you wonder why she's like, walks around like this. They kick the devil's butt. Now you wonder why she has so much faith. She has belief and resilience. She's got that. <laughs> if she didn't play piano and play sports, she may be a super athlete, do you understand? <laughs> All she did was play piano. I hope you guys understand what I'm trying to say. There's heritage in your family line. That's, there's living stones that are waiting for that. For, they're crying out and you're not listening. There's stones and stories in your family line that are telling you who you are and you're not listening. Because you're like, wow, we got so much darkness and dysfunction in my family. In the midst of the chaos and the waters covering it in the midst of that there's stones that's telling you something about who you are do you, do you understand and when you, when you can't see your future clearly sometimes you have to go to the past and you have to say hey there's some there's something in there for me that God has preserved me for something there's something out there for me because surely these stories are too much this is wow God is doing something can you show that picture of uh, me and my wife? That's, that's my wife and I. <laughs> We're 20, 20 years old, 21. My wife's so cute. She's like a, like a little girl. That's around the time we got married. Wow. Look how young we look. No wonder people thought I got her pregnant. My, fr my friends thought we were getting married <laughs> Hold on, hold on. <laughs> My friends thought we were getting married because I got her pregnant and we were forced to get married. But I said, no, no, man. Her father wants us to get married. Look, how, I was looking at that picture and that's my stone of remembrance. Who in their right mind will let a boy like that young with no money going to grad school, zero dollars, international student, marry that beautiful princess? No, can, can, I, can I just, can I hear an amen? Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Only God. And when my wife and I are going through troubles in our, like, marriage, we've, we have, we've gone counseling. It's not the worst trouble, but, you know, we need some tune-ups and we're fighting. And the first seven years was hard, right, honey? Oh, my gosh, there was a lot of yelling. 
but we made it. We made it. 30 years. Yes. And we hard. We never, we never even thought about the D word. You know what the D word is? We never even said it out loud ever. We never even, never even entered my mind ever. It was never an option. You know why? Because God did that. <laughs> Sometimes I look at her and go, I can't believe I'm going to be married to this woman for another 40, 50 years. And she's like, likewise, likewise. <laughs> We're looking at each other going, oh my gosh. That's why, sometimes, that's why one time we bought a big house because I just needed to be in my office sometimes. What, what in the world? <sighs> but never ever did I think of another option because God did that. She's my memory stone. She's my stone of memory. Do you understand? Her life, she doesn't have to say anything, but her life is crying out, I am faithful! I'm going to give you things you don't deserve. I'm going to give you the perfect woman for you. You, don't just, you just don't know it yet. In about 29 years, you'll know. And now I know. Oh, man, you're so... That's why every day I'm, I'm so thankful for you. You are the perfect woman for me. Do you understand? That's a life lesson for some of you. That's why I don't marry people if I'm not confident they're called by God. I think you guys are getting my point. You need little mementos, like pictures. My wife's like, did you order something from Amazon? And I said, yes. I bought this. And she's like, why? I bought this. It's a Seattle space needle. Is it the space needle? I don't even know what it is. See? It's just <laughs> Seattle something. Something in Seattle, right? You guys, Northwest, this is, did I buy the right thing? It's only $8. I bought this because, can you show that next picture? That's me, last year. I'm growing my beard because it's my, it's my journey. It's my journey, like my pilgrimage. Because I was in Seattle for my daughter. Every morning I woke up and I saw that space needle. I don't know why, but that space needle reminded me of God's faithfulness. It's just lit up. Everything was dark, but it was lit up. And the Lord just reminded me, I'm good. And in the midst of this crazy chaos, there's a stone I'm going I'm to build in your life. Then we're talking about Seattle, and then my wife and I are like, it was some good times. I introduced my daughter to all the old movies you used to watch. And she's like, what is that? What is Braveheart, Daddy? What is what? I said, let's watch Braveheart. And she's like, oh, so violent. Oh. And then she watched it, and she's like, oh. And then we showed her Goodwill Hunting. And she's like, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And we showed, uh, what is that other movie? That Poet Society. And she really, she was like on the edge of her seat going, oh, my gosh, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh. I love watching movies with her because she's so vocal. She can, she's prophetic, right? She already knows what's going to happen. She's like, are they going to do it? Just watch the movie. They're going to do it. Oh, no. I just remember eating good food, laughing and talking, and just spending like that six weeks with her was the most valuable time for us. In the midst of the raging waters that could be 10 feet deep, that could drown us, in the midst of that, there were stones that God was making. And I'm going to 
One day you're going to tell stories about this. Do you understand? I'm not going to write in this book. I don't like lines anyway. I'm going to keep this book as a memory. Every time I see this book, I'm going to say, Ebenezer, he has been with us all along. The rocks are crying out. The rocks are crying out. If you're going through a hard time, you got rocks crying out in your life. In your life, people around you, your family, even in the midst of darkness, there's rocks crying out. Just try to go back there and say, Lord, show me. Listen carefully, and you'll see the Lord saying, I was faithful! They're crying out. Even if you can't say with your mouth, there's rocks crying out. That's how we get through life. And I have hope for the future. Because I hear them. My family, in my family line. In you guys, when I hear your stories, I'm like, man, you, you're, you, you're, you got some stones. What? <laughs> your stones are crying out. Let the people around you hear those stones. Let them hear you. They need to hear it. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Because I want to do um, communion today. I thought it would be a perfect time to do it. I thought when we do it, before we do it, usually, um, yes, we remember the goodness of God and Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. But how many guys know Jesus is, is the rock? Is the rock. <laughs> he's not the rock, he's the rock. He's the rock of all rocks. His life is the living rock that cries out. So the cross is a remembrance of what he did for us, but because of the rock, we became little rocks like Peter. Peter changed his name, and Jesus said, you're now the rock. Your life will be a testimony.